Hi, I'm Olivia. And I'm Amy. And this is the Girls in Marketing podcast. Every week, we release a new episode that you won't want to miss. Our guests are industry experts with amazing experiences, so you'll always come away with new nuggets of wisdom. From educational and inspiring episodes covering the latest in digital marketing, to casual and fun chats with the Girls in Marketing team, unpacking marketing myths and trends, we've got it all. Here at Girls in Marketing, we're all about empowering and supporting women to be the best marketers they can be through our online learning platform and community. Check out our resources and membership to get involved as we'd love to welcome you to our inner circle. Right, let's dive into an episode together. Hello and welcome back to the Girls in Marketing podcast. Today I am very excited to be joined by Isabel Cowell. Isabel is the head of social at Kuroko, which is a personal brand and agency. Now, I'm pretty sure you will have seen Isabel's posts on LinkedIn. She's got tens of thousands of followers and she is a young leader leading a team, which I thought was a really interesting concept. And as a podcast episode, I thought it would be a really good one. So welcome, Isabel. Hi, thank you for having me. It's so nice to have you in our studio. Yeah, thanks. How does it feel? It's cool. It's my first in-person one. So it's actually cool to be actually seeing people after being in lockdown for so long. So it's cool. Yeah, I always get that with guests like coming in. It's totally different anything that they've probably done before 100 yeah thank you I want to start a little bit and talk about your kind of where you got to where you are now so obviously you didn't actually study marketing um you studied was it political science history yeah Yeah. so tell me a little bit about that how you got to where you are now yeah so I was very much academic at school I think everyone online now it's coming from very different backgrounds. So either some are very unacademic, some are very, very academic and no one really tells you what to do from either side. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was kind of pushed down that route of going to university, uh, very much doing a subject that was traditional mm-hmm. um, rather than, for example, photography or drama. I grew up really liking theatre. I was always quite creative. But for me, it was always, you've got to do academics. So I went to University of Birmingham without a plan, to be honest. Um, I didn't think I'm going to do this degree to get into this industry, to this career. I just knew that I kind of liked it. I knew that that's almost what I was meant to do. Um, So yeah, so I went and did that. And it wasn't until about second year of university that I realized I really need to have a plan. Um, we, everyone knows you can't just have a degree to get a job, unfortunately, anymore. Um, you've got to have internships and connections and all these different things. So it wasn't actually until my second year of university, I just watched the US The Office mm-hmm. and panicked. Um, I knew I didn't want to work in an office, a nine to five, and a job that I hated. And that's really when I started thinking about that creative side that I always used to love. Um, so I originally actually landed on the fashion industry, mm-hmm. mostly because I'd watched films and enjoyed like <laughs> Ugly Betty, Devil West Prada and was like, okay, that's the route that I want to go down. Quickly realised though, once again, I can't draw, so I can't be a fashion designer. I can't sew, so I can't actually make the clothes. And that's where I kind of stumbled onto um, journalism, so fashion journalism. And that's when I kind of had my first taste of copywriting. Okay. Um, and as well, so I originally got a job, not a job, an internship at Glamour magazine. So I wrote articles for them, but also started working on the social media team there, um, which was really cool. I didn't plan on doing that when I started the internship. I sat in the morning meeting and they were like, who do you want to talk to? So that's kind of the first time that I kind of had an insight into it. And I really enjoyed it, quite frankly. Um, so kind of going into my um, that kind of final year of uni when I'd done that, 
Um, I started kind of doing other internships around marketing, really developing like journalism skills as well. So I started writing for my university's newspaper. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and so that's kind of how I found that initial spark for marketing. Um, but I definitely still like found it hard getting actually into the industry itself, mm-hmm. um, not just internships. It wasn't until like five months yeah. after I graduated that I actually got a job in marketing. Just because I didn't know where to start. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people the kind of go to university, I expected to get a grad scheme at a massive company, PwC or like L'Oreal, if you want to go into this sort of world. And I applied, I didn't get them because a thousand other people (laughs) applied for them. So it took me a long time to realise there actually was different avenues to actually get into marketing. Yeah, I think a lot of people who are listening could relate to that kind of second or third year, third year panic mm-hmm. where it's like, I haven't got any experience. I'm not really sure what I want to do or maybe I am sure what I want to do, but I haven't got any experience to kind of back it up. And as you said, a lot of the time now, university degrees aren't kind of enough for mm-hmm. employers, which is unfortunate, but it is kind of how it is, you know what yeah. I mean? So I think sometimes it's just about understanding that and then saying right what can I do and that's obviously something that you you did do Mm -hmm. um I think something a lot of people will be curious to know is how you actually landed I mean you said Glamour which Mm -hmm. is an amazing company obviously you will have applied for other ones and not got them but how did you actually get these internships and what advice would you give to people who are looking for that kind of start and leg up in the industry yeah so originally I started just googling I think it's what a lot of people do internships in marketing or like internships in fashion and then you go in there you've got go onto like the Condé Nast website or whatever industry you're in you go into those big companies because those are the ones um that are kind of actually like searching for interns or you go Mm -hmm. on LinkedIn or whatever a lot of the times those internships once again have thousands and thousands of people trying to get them like because as you said everyone knows you need them to actually break into the industry so I don't know where I got this confidence, a little second year me, I did no work experience before this. And I just Googled editor-in-chief of Vogue and editor-in-chief of Glamour um, because those were the magazines that I'd heard of and just sent them an email. And I literally, and it's even looking back, I'm like, I don't even know how I got this because I didn't even include a CV or cover letter or portfolio because I didn't have them. And I literally said, hi, insert their name. I'm Izzy. Um, I'm a second year student. This is why I'm so passionate about fashion. I even dropped in like the Ugly Betty that I really mm-hmm. loved Ugly Betty. I wanted to work at a fashion magazine. Um, what I did as well, I think this is really, really important. It's always showing that there's a reason why you're going for that specific company. So even though I was looking at different magazines, I went onto their website, found a specific article from each show, Vogue and Glamour, found it and literally wrote that in my email saying, I've read this article. I, I love reading you all the time, but this article by this person, like name drop that um, writer as well. I really connected with it because of X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And I think that can apply to any industry as long as, and in interviews as well for an actual job or anything. If you can show one, you've done your research and two, you're passionate, not about the industry, but about that company, that gets a lot of employers really, really excited um, and yeah, and literally like the next day I got an email straight away from Vogue, like the editor-in-chief herself emailed me back saying, thank you so much um, for like messaging. We actually don't offer anything, um, but please like keep in touch or whatever. Two weeks later on the line, I literally got an email straight back from Glamour being like, we'd love to offer you a paid internship. Like I said, no CV, no work experience, no connections within the company. And straight away I got a paid internship. I just really think you you know, everyone says it's not about who you know. It's not about what you know, it's who you know. I think that really is applied. But I think there's this big misconception that it's 
oh, if mummy and daddy know mm-hmm. people, that's how you get into the industry. No, you can make those own connections. And me finding a specific person, a human, not the business, a human in the business and like connecting with them, that's building out your network. And that's what that means. And that yeah. was now my in into that company. And I think you can apply that to any industry, any company or anything to actually get that foot in the door. Yeah. I think that's really nice to know because not a lot of people will have connections. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was similar in terms of when I started out, I didn't really have any connections, but I said a while ago, I can't remember, it was a podcast episode. I said, LinkedIn makes the world feel like a very small place. Yeah, 100%. So finding that person, as you said, from your dream company, saying to them, how did you get your role? Or even messaging them, as you said, and say, do you have any internships mm-hmm. going? It might seem bold, but actually sometimes, and this is sometimes it won't always work, but sometimes it does. And which there's is no amazing. problem if it doesn't work. Like mm-hmm. the worst thing, I think that's also the thing. The worst thing someone's going to do is ignore you or say no. Like it's not this big end. They're not going to put you on a blacklist in their office saying, don't hire this person. They're too bold. No, they just will move on. And who mm-hmm. knows? Like the next person might say yes. So you might as well do it. Yeah. And it could be a connection for future as well. Exactly. I was looking through my LinkedIn messages the other day um, and I scrolled. I found this person. I haven't spoken to them for literally years since I was at university. And I scrolled up and I was, I, I had done something that you did. I was like, I'm looking for an internship in the summer. Um, and it's crazy because then I was connecting with that person on a different mm-hmm. level now you know as a business owner and running girls marketing so it's so crazy cool. <laughs> um, but yeah it was really cool talking about LinkedIn I think it's your jam isn't it LinkedIn yes. is definitely <laughs> your jam personal branding is your jam so obviously you work at Kruger which is a mm-hmm. personal branding agency and um, but you also do have a large personal brand following mm-hmm. yourself tell me a little bit about how you actually how that came about what happened because obviously you've done these internships you kind of in the industry now what kind of happened then after that yeah so originally I just got into social media marketing I didn't know the phrase personal branding existed I kind of I started building up my LinkedIn so I'd got done the banner photo and like made sure my profile picture looked good or whatever beforehand but I'd never kind of heard of personal branding or seen anyone posting more like personal stuff for me LinkedIn was like corporate it was very much black and white you post your promotions you post I don't know like I don't know if you've graduated university that's what I thought it was um and then my boss actually met my now boss messaged me on New Year's Eve. So this is when I was still working at a social media agency, basically saying, hi, I found you on LinkedIn. Bear in mind, I had like 600 followers at this point um, who weren't even really followers. They were like connections. They mm-hmm. weren't like people who followed me for content. And he said, do you want to apply for this personal brand management job? And I said, oh my gosh, yes, of course. Sounds amazing. When I went and Googled what is personal branding, what is personal brand management. Um, and yeah, and that's kind of how I started was out of necessity, if I'm being honest. Like it seemed like a really cool company. I really wanted to get involved. And I was like, I need to figure out how to do this. I have three weeks mm-hmm. between now and the start day of this job. I need to start posting or else I'm just going to show up on day one and know nothing. And I think that's kind of a really important thing to say as well like I didn't go into it with I want 50,000 followers and I want to be on podcasts and I want to do this and the other I went into it because I was like I want to learn how to do this and I think that's a really really important thing I think as soon as you go in and you think I want to go viral I'm going to copy what other people are doing purely so that I can get thousands of views or whatever straight away your content is just not gonna attract the right people because you're not going at it from a right point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I've only been doing it for about 10 months now, um, which is kind of crazy. But yeah, it's just one of those things where you've just got to keep 
going at it so yeah it's cool what about the first post then so I know you kind of did it out of necessity but I get so many people saying to me okay I understand what I've got to Mm do I know how I can build my personal brand I understand my values and everything I want to bring to the table how do I actually just do it do it because I think it's so difficult and genuinely for for me when I first started I was very much you know on LinkedIn anyway as an Mm -hmm. employee kind of not really doing anything to do with personal brands and then I was like right I'm just gonna kind of post and because of the type of person I am I wasn't too bothered about posting and Mm -hmm. you know the first few only got you know two or three likes but it didn't bother me because I was posting it because I wanted to but I think a big issue that a lot of people face is kind of imposter syndrome but mm-hmm. also just the aspect of should like people am I allowed <laughs> yeah what what happens like what's yeah. the kind of what's the deal so for you how did you overcome that and how did you actually post and what advice would you give to people that are looking to do that yeah I think for starters you don't have to do your first post where it's super personal and groundbreaking or no post you have do have to do that I did actually a LinkedIn um, an Instagram post about this through the week and it was my first post was five facts about me. Mm-hmm. My first post that went like kind of viral, like I got like 900 reactions, was a marketing campaign. It was like I don't know, a screenshot of a McDonald's marketing campaign with a very short caption. And that was like my seventh post. And I think it's really important. Just like break into it. So you don't feel like you've got to post every day. Don't feel like you've got to go and super personal. Post about your industry. What are you interested in? Post about, I know a lot of people watch this going to want to break into marketing or are in marketing. So post about a campaign that you really love or some tips. For example, what are your SEO tips or things like that? I think that really helps people to kind of break into it slowly because you're not saying anything controversial. You're not kind of opening yourself up to the world. You're just giving facts, which I think is quite useful. I think also, like I said, off the back of that, nothing has to be groundbreaking either. I can guarantee almost every single thing people post on LinkedIn is on Google somewhere. Mm -hmm. I think my first like viral, viral post was about me being in my childhood bedroom. And I was like, wow, this is really ugly. Like I wanted to take a photo and I was like, wow, like this, it did not look like this. Like Mm -hmm. there was no lighting, no nothing. And people related to that. And I think that's just a really important place to start. Like you don't have to be the world expert to post. You don't have to break every rule ever. You just have to talk about what you want to talk about. Um, I think as well, I know you said before, like a lot of people like, have their mission and stuff, but as long as you also know why you're posting, I think that really helps because if you have an overall goal, then it doesn't feel as scary. It doesn't feel like a day-to-day thing. It's like, okay, this is, if I do this and that's going to get me to hit, hit, to like here. And that's kind of why I started posting was because I knew I had to. And I knew that if I continued to do it, it would get me that. And I don't think I've ever necessarily had imposter syndrome when it came to posting as like just posting on its own. Maybe about the stuff that I'm talking about, I have imposter syndrome. But I think as long as you have kind of this reason why you're posting and you could always go back to that as soon as you lose kind of motivation or you get a bit scared about it, just take a step back and think, okay, I'm going to start again slowly. I'm going to do just a screenshot of a marketing campaign and just get back into it, I think. Mm-hmm. No, that's really good advice. I think as well, people do think that they have Mm -hmm. to be groundbreaking and I say so many times literally iterating what you just said this stuff is Mm -hmm. available other places you can do 
you can speak about whatever you want. Obviously, when you get to the point where you want to talk about personal things, it will be quite personal, but it doesn't have to be, you know, and that's not the point. It becomes personal when Mm -hmm. you want it to be, but at the beginning, it definitely doesn't have to be, which is always nice because I think there's a lot of things about being personal, which is nice, but not a necessity, I don't think. No, not at all. Yeah. Just being kind of authentic. Mm -hmm. It's that key word of being authentically yourself Mm -hmm. and kind of, showcasing who you are and what you're about and it doesn't have to be super personal I think as well a lot of people as you just said they get the word authentic mixed up they think authentic is posting a crying selfie Mm -hmm. or they think it's telling my whole life sub story that's not authentic because if that's not you I'm quite personal because I'm the person that's let's say we were in a restaurant bathroom I bet oh my god I love your clothes and this is my life story Mm -hmm. like that's just me I I always say I'm a chronic oversharer And so that translates into my LinkedIn content. I will tell anyone and everyone what happened yesterday. I'll be like, oh my God, I just had a breakdown and now I'm fine. And my friends are like, okay. (laughs) Whereas not everyone's like that. And if that's not you, then posting about that is not authentic. And I think that's where people get mixed up with that phrase. Yeah. Now, talking a bit more about personal branding then, I know it definitely helped you with getting your role, Mm -hmm. uh, but so many people talk about it from an employability perspective. How kind of effective or important do you think it is to have a personal brand in regards to getting a new job or kind of boosting your employability? I think it's so important. For example, I genuinely don't think I need to go out of my way to go through a traditional job application system again. I get... Probably this year alone, I've probably had maybe like 30 people reaching out saying, would you like a job at my company? Mm -hmm. Um, And I've been offered jobs without an interview or anything. And it's because people know you. The whole point of an interview, the whole point of sending in your CV is so that people can get to know you, understand your skills and how you can impact their business. If they see you talking about that every single day, they're not even going to question it. And as well, you have every single day to make that point rather than what, a 45 minute interview. I think as well, I know a lot of people, for example, one of my friends, her younger brother, so she posts on LinkedIn and her younger brother just graduated uni. um, And she was like, do a post. Like she got him with a photo. And at the end, he said, I'm looking for a job. And she, to be fair, because she's got a great network, we all commented, I commented like commenting for reach. He got a job in a week and is now working in a big skyscraper in London, purely from one LinkedIn post. Though, on the back end of that, what I would say is I think there's a lot of pressure for uni students or people just leaving, for example, like sixth form college to build their personal brands, which I don't necessarily agree with. I think for some people, yes, that they want to go straight into work and they want to be super like productive and ambitious during university. For me at university, I, yeah, I did work hard and I got good grades and I like did some internships at the end. Most of my university, I was going out with my friends, staying up till 3am in the kitchen, doing, I don't know, whatever. And I didn't even consider building my personal brand until this January. And I've still got to where I am now. Mm -hmm. I think that if you want to build it during university and things like that, amazing, but I don't think it's a necessity. And let's say you graduated let's say you did your last assignment in, I know, May. If you like started doing like three months of personal branding since between then, like your actual graduation, you would build up a really great network. And it only takes like one really good post to get you that next kind of job. So I think it is really important, but I think there's this kind of hustle culture that comes around it Mm -hmm. and it is hard work. And if you don't want to post multiple times a week and stuff, you don't have to just every now and again, put yourself out there. Um, but I don't think it's a 
you know, personal branding is not seven times a week on LinkedIn. Like it is hard Mm -hmm. and you don't need to necessarily do that to get the results. Yeah, I definitely did not have personal brands at university. (laughs) I can tell you right now, I did not have personal Mm -hmm. brands at university. Although I possibly would have now. Mm -hmm. I think the landscape in itself of marketing has changed quite a bit in the last few years with lockdown the kind of importance of building an an online presence and kind of having that personal brand online has been really important, Um, which I do understand because as you said, as well from an employer's perspective. So I now am in that employer, you know, shoes. It's always great to see someone who is active on LinkedIn or even Instagram, Mm -hmm. you know, different platforms and stuff like that. It's always nice to see that sort of thing. Um, But you were actually a LinkedIn top voice. Yeah. In the presence. <laughs> and um, was it LinkedIn blue badge as well? Yeah. So they're kind of like, they kind of go together a little right, bit. Okay. So how do you think that that kind of, I know obviously you will know how it came about for you, <laughs> um, but what was that kind of, how did that feel for you? I know being kind of younger, being someone kind of relatively new for the mm-hmm. industry, how did that, how did that feel? I always find it really funny because whenever things like this happen, I go, oh cool like and just kind of move on and then loads of people message me like oh my god this is a huge deal and I go oh my gosh I didn't actually realize this was that big a deal because I just I think that's potentially where that imposter syndrome comes in where I'm like oh something's been given to me so it must not be that important because I got it Mm -hmm. um so no it was really really cool I think it gave me a lot of confidence in what I was doing so I got LinkedIn top voice next gen so like they do loads of different kind of lists for the LinkedIn top voices so you've got like LGBTQ ones you've got like diversity all those sort of ones and mine was next gen and it was really cool like you said as a young person posting online talking about things getting imposter syndrome because you're talking about things from kind of like a point of view of authority but then you're also like I've only been working for like less than a year it was really cool to be able to kind of see it making a difference and I always say this as well like I would much rather get a post that gets, I don't know, like a hundred likes, but I get loads of messages off the back of it saying this really inspired me or this has helped me to do this or this gave me the push to, I don't know, apply for that internship or start my own personal brand. Or if someone tags me in a post saying this is inspired, like it was their first post, this was inspired by Isabel Cowell. That for me is so much nicer than a post that gets, I don't know, a thousand reactions, but nothing really comes off the back of it. Mm -hmm. I think... A big thing for me is I never expected to kind of have this lifestyle, I guess. I never, I was never that person. I know so many people on LinkedIn are like, I had a Twitter page for Harry Styles growing up or this and the other, or I posted. I like, I know loads of people had like food or fitness pages during lockdown. I've never been a social media person. Like my personal Instagram is like, absolutely. Like there's nothing on there basically. And so I think it's just really, really cool to have almost like, yes, I kind of worked hard to get here, but almost somewhat fallen into this lifestyle and seeing that it actually does help people is really, really cool. Cause yeah, it just kind of came from a place where I know that I would have, and I always say this, I'm building my personal brand for me one year ago. Mm-hmm. And I, it's really nice to see people because I know that if I was in their position, I would have really appreciated it. Um, so yeah, it's re- been really, really cool. Yeah. What's your kind of next goal with LinkedIn then? Cause I feel like you really kind of smashed it these last few months. Definitely. 
Do you have anything in mind that you're thinking you want to go after or anything that you, like a big goal for you? Yeah, I think for me, not necessarily LinkedIn, but just personal branding in general, I want to build it out more and more and more. Um, so I've got a lot of plans in the world, just finding the time to actually do it. Um, I want to do more on like TikTok, on TikTok, I want to have like a mailing list. I definitely think as well, I'm like trying to figure out, and I think this is really, really important for everyone to understand you don't define your niche and your personal brand and that's it for the next five years when I started posting on LinkedIn I was this scared little 21 year old who was in her first ever full-time job now I'm a manager and I've got this massive community and so the advice I'm giving has kind of changed so I think looking at for example those other um kind of ventures I want to do it is going to be going down a lot more of that route of showing people and this has always been my mission is showing people they can do more than they expected they could like I genuinely thought I was going to have to slowly climb my way up through very small marketing agencies rather than just being able to actually take control of my own career so I think for me that's going to be a really big mission and expanding that beyond LinkedIn to actually start building out a larger community around that mission I think yeah and talking about being a manager yeah so that's something <laughs> that obviously we've had to chat out before mm-hmm. being a kind of young leader myself I really am inspired by your journey I think it's really great you are the youngest person in your company but you are also a manager in that mm-hmm. company which I think is amazing what are some kind of obstacles that you have found over the last you know 10 you know eight ten months that sort of thing since you started and now becoming a kind of young leader? Yeah, so for me, what was really, really weird, and I've kind of spoken to a lot of people about this, when you're early on in your career, you don't really have anyone to base what you're doing off of. For example, one of my co-workers, who's kind of like the other person on my level in the business, he was working at a separate company for like three, four years before coming on here and had managers for three, four years. I kind of came into a very like small startup and then kind of got thrown into this role. So it's very much having to learn as you go, which can be really, really scary. And I think a lot of people experience this, not just in leadership roles, but in like your first job in any role. And so for me, and I actually got really, really bad imposter syndrome because of this. And luckily we had this amazing advisor at our company uh, who's quite a bit older, has a lot of kind of knowledge and things like that. And I had a really long kind of conversation with him about us like I just feel like I don't know what I'm doing and he was like well you do like what what don't you know and I was like I don't know what I don't know and he was like okay like like let's lay it all out and we actually kind of went through everything and I was doing everything that I needed to be doing so for me I think it was just a lot of imposter syndrome of just not knowing if I was on the right track Mm -hmm. which is so kind of weird I think as well because I'm like quite proud of a lot of stuff that I've done as a manager. And I think a big part of that was I always reflect back on how I felt as an employee and like what I needed. So I've done a lot to do with like mental health in the business um, and like really like thinking like I know for me, I've got quite a lot of anxiety. Um, I've been through like quite like low f- um, kind of phases in my life and stuff like that. And just like integrating things like one-to-ones and actually checking in on people and things like that. And there is a lot of once again imposter syndrome that comes with that because you're like, what if I say the wrong thing? Do I have enough almost like emotional capacity to take on my, like I've got maybe what, like 10 people below me that I'm like checking in on and like taking on all that like emotional, I guess, weight, but also and having the imposter syndrome of that. But it's also really nice to actually be able to implement that and know that like, I guess I'm somewhat on the right path. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And 
as well, you wouldn't have been given that role if they didn't think that you were capable of it. Yes, <laughs> it's true. And I always think that, you know, yeah. any roles previously um, that I, because I've worked full time and freelance as well, anything I've ever done, sometimes, you know, you do kind of face mm-hmm. that imposter syndrome, but it's also, you wouldn't be doing what you're doing without someone else saying you're capable of mm-hmm. doing that. So for me, having someone saying we want you to lead on not necessarily even a team because sometimes you know people within our community say oh I want to do a campaign or Mm -hmm. I want to do a strategy if your manager or your boss says I really think that you can lead on this I know that this is a strong point I think that's a really nice thing and almost kind of shouldn't impact imposter syndrome if possible Mm -hmm. because it kind of gives you that edge of someone believes that I'm able to do it which is always nice. I think as well imposter syndrome isn't necessarily the worst thing in the world if it's not crippling. Like, there's a difference. Like, I definitely went through a phase where I was, I didn't even want to get out of bed because I was, like, so scared to do the work. But I think there's also an element of imposter syndrome where it's, like, I feel like a lot of us, most people would find it really, really boring if they were just, like, I can do this in my sleep. Their job, if you can just be like, I can do it in my sleep. I don't even, like, I'm not even thinking of the next thing. Like, there's always going to be that little element of I'm a little bit out of my comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And I think that makes you so much better. And, like, because of that as well, I've really realized, and I say this a lot, I'm a better manager and a better head of social than I ever was a personal brand manager who's like writing content day to day. I actually found that I really enjoy leadership and it, yes, it's out of my comfort zone, but I think like my boss and stuff could see that, that like from day one, I was always the one, like I would come with opinions on a lot of things um, and like actually like, speak up in meetings and I like taking things on. And so I just think, yeah, you wouldn't be given an opportunity if you couldn't handle it. But I also think we need to give ourselves more credit for how uncomfortable we can actually get, like to actually get outside our comfort zone. Yeah. And you mentioned that you lead kind of 10 people, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, (laughs) What does a typical day look like for you then? Because I think being a manager is different Mm -hmm. across companies. But what does being a manager look like in Corogo and for you as kind of Isabel? Yes. So I think for me, and this was quite unexpected, so many meetings, so, so many meetings because I have one-to-ones and we have team stand-ups. And not only am I a line manager, I'm head of social. So I do a lot of onboarding of clients. Then within that comes a lot of meetings. Next week, I've got everyone's monthly kind of like one-to-ones and things like that. And that's something I'd never experienced before. Um, I and Before I'd always be like, I love meetings and I still do, but definitely trying to balance life and like as well, just like the how draining just being on like a computer because I work fully remotely as well. And that's something that I think very specific about a remote company is every single interaction I have with my team is online. And which means that I also need to actively book in those virtual meetings, even if it's like half an hour, 20 minutes every week, um, especially like the newer hires because for me as a manager, it's so important that they feel like they can come to me with anything. If it's a small question, if they're burnt out, if it's actually about content, anything, I want them to be able to come to me. But I think one thing that's like a pet peeve when it comes to uh, managers being like, oh, we have an open culture. You can come to me with anything, but then they don't make the effort to build that relationship. If my team, like one of my team don't feel like they know me and we've not had conversations about their weekend and had a bit of a laugh as well as help them with content, they're not going to come to me. So there's a lot of meetings. Um, Like I said as well, 
I'm not just a manager. So I actually run all the Karogo social media pages. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of obviously like content creation in there. Um, and as well, quite frankly, being a manager, you kind of have to pick up the slack where things get dropped. For example, if people go on annual leave, if people are having a busy week, you've got to write content. You've got to be still kind of in the trenches. And I think that's super, super important as well is that you don't think I'm a manager, I'm above all of this. No, like you need to step in because I always say this, like, my team's wins are theirs, their failures are mine. Mm-hmm. And I think one that's really, really important, having that empathy and actually thinking about what you're doing wrong. But as well, it's also like, right, I'm I'm on your team and I'm here to support you. So there's a lot of just last minute, drop everything and like help people out, which I really love. I love that I'm able to do that because when I started at the company, there was like three of us and we were all like, it's a startup and that's the nature of a startup. And it's really, really nice now that I feel like my team actually did have a support system because I feel like I really needed that when I started, especially like most people are in their twenties in our company. It's hard, like in that, like your first couple of years at work. And so, yeah, there's just a lot of dropping everything, helping out, jumping on calls, writing content and things like that. Yeah. I heard the term firefighting. Have you ever heard that? No. So that is literally what you've just described. (laughs) So I was so in awe. I can't remember who told me. I went to this workshop and they were saying about your time and how to use your time. And someone said it's called firefighting and a lot of managers and leaders do it. It's where you are actively like fighting mm-hmm. the fires so wow, you know yeah. for example you're saying doing work that people haven't done because they're on annual leave all them other things the things that aren't typically in your to-do list and I find I spend so much of my time firefighting mm-hmm. but you never put it on your to-do list no. so you maybe start the week weekly planner write it down all lovely <laughs> and nice. yeah everything oh lovely lovely and then it gets to the end of the week and you think I have not even done half of this yeah. because you've spent all of your time kind of supporting other people. But I don't think that that's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. What I do think it is, is something we need to take accountability for. And we need to start thinking, okay, as someone who manages people or also someone who just has a lot on thinking, okay, sometimes I'm going to have to change what I'm doing or, you know, completely pivot if it comes to mm-hmm. it. Um, but yeah, that was an interesting little wow. term there. I think that's also really important as well because to almost book those times in being like, right, I'm going to fill up my week 80% mm-hmm. of like my actual stuff and leave that 20% because that's something I don't do. Yeah. And then I'm sat there at, I don't know, 10 p.m. on a Thursday doing my work. So I always have as well, when you finish meetings, you're like, right, I can actually do my work now. But actually like considering those meetings are work. That engagement you've got to do on the Instagram account, that is work. Like that's not to do during your lunch break. That is work. And I think actually taking, like actually setting those boundaries, I think is really important, not just as a manager, but in any job being like, this is work. Even if I'm like, oh, this is just a quick thing. That is work and include that within your kind of nine to five. I think it's really important. Yeah. So as a young leader then, I think something that isn't really kind of covered is that, and, and I know what you're saying about like work-life balance because that is something that is really difficult, especially when you're just getting started in the industry, understanding that kind of like work-life balance mm-hmm. and stuff, especially as a young leader because you want to provide your team with the best possible experience. Do you think, obviously we've spoken a lot about like the positives and the negatives, but what positives do you think you bring to your company being a young leader? Because there might be people out there right now thinking I'm too young, I can't do it. But what positives have you seen on your company and on your team from being that kind of young leader? Yeah, so I think for starters, 
I'm a somewhat similar age to most people in the company. And I think it's a lot easier. And I want, I'm really open as well. I will tell anyone, oh my God, I was so stressed last week. I didn't get this done. Or especially, I was a personal brand manager a couple months ago. And that's like most people in my company, that's where they're currently at. And I can sit there and be like, oh my gosh, when I was a personal brand manager, I used to do this or yada, yada, yada and give advice. But I also think it's a lot more relatable for them to come to me. I think it would be quite scary. Let's say I had a 45 year old manager for me to go to them and be like, I'm feeling really stressed, overwhelmed this week. Um, I don't know what to do about this because they seem quite far removed from your position. Whereas for me, they'll come to me and like, I've done it. I was there last week. You know what I mean? And so I think that's really, really important. I also think because I'm so new and I think potentially this is one of my personality traits, but I think a lot of young people are more likely to have this than let's say someone with a lot more experience. I'm very open to change and I'm open to saying I made a mistake. I look back to a month ago and go, I knew nothing back then and I've changed so much since then. And because I'm not set in my ways. So for example... I started doing like one-to-one monthly reviews last month because I I feel like we just need something to do with specifically content. And I think that we should start, I don't know, integrating something else. And I don't have that thing in me being like, well, I've been doing this for 30 years. I don't want to start it new. I'm like, no, let's try it. And I've read this book, so let's try this. And I think young people have much more kind of willingness to change because they've not deep. I'm sure if I've been doing this for 30 years, I'd be like, no, I know how to do it. Whereas like, I'm like, I don't know how to do it. Let's all figure it out together. And I think one, that transparency with the team as well. Like I will say to them, like, I am not an expert. I'm figuring this out alongside you. Like let's work on it together. After these one-to-one monthly reviews, send me a message on like what you'd want to include in that or like anything you'd want to do differently. And I think it's just a real openness. I think a lot of young people have and a willingness to try new things. And I think a lot of people, like I said, people are doing it for like a real long time, just don't have that same like adaptability, I don't think. Mm -hmm. I think feedback for managers is important, regardless Mm -hmm. of how old you are. That's something that I really value within our team in particular is, you know, and as you said, I'm very similar in the way I'm very transparent with the team. Sometimes I know things, sometimes I don't, and it is what it is. And Mm -hmm. even if I'd been doing it for 30 or 40 years, there might still be things I don't know. And I speak to kind of CMOs and directors who are, you know, hiring people for TikTok or Mm -hmm. Be Real or all of these different platforms. And they say to me, I feel imposter syndrome because I feel like I am not in it anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm not in that marketing aspect. So I think, you know, as much as as young leaders, we feel imposter syndrome, definitely the ones who are older and have been in the industry for a lot longer will also feel it as well. So just having that open rapport with Mm -hmm. managers is really important. Definitely, And as an employee, being able to maybe go to your manager and say, you know, I'd love to talk more about this thing. I'd love to chat with you about, you know, mental health, or I'd love to chat about how we can implement certain things within, you know, for well-being within the company. Because oftentimes managers, maybe like you and I, would think of those things. But if you are in a position where you have a, a manager who doesn't, who maybe is kind of, you know, been in the industry for 30 or 40 years, they want those people, they yeah. want those fresh ideas. So it's always nice to kind of know and, and see that from mm-hmm. other people. I think it's really really great. Um, So I wanted to talk a little bit about imposter syndrome because I know we've covered it before, but how are you kind of currently? So you said you do suffer with it, but not necessarily kind of in the aspect of I shouldn't be posting and whatever. It's more kind of, 
Yeah, I think it's more of a, a backseat for you, but something that kind of comes out sometimes. Yeah. How are you currently overcoming that imposter syndrome? Yeah, so I, I like it goes in like ebbs and flows. So, for example, like last month, I hit severe like burnout, imposter syndrome. I don't know if I can do this. Um, and you do get into a bit of a hole. And I think it's made a lot worse with remote working. So there's a m- loads of benefits to remote working. And I genuinely don't think I could go back to like full time in an office anymore. But I think you really get in your own little head and thinking, I can't do this or just, I don't know, you just think that you're doing something wrong. For me, um, like I said, I had that chat with our advisor and actually just like taking a step back and think, right, what do I need to learn? Where are my um, kind of gaps in my knowledge? Because I think there's a, there's two sides of imposter syndrome that you have to address. There's the silly little voice in your head that you need to tell to be quiet. And you do that by looking at your strengths. You do that by talking to people. You do that by understanding that everyone experiences imposter syndrome and it's okay to have that. And it is just a little voice and understanding that. But I think there's also an element that no one really speaks about and that's like action, actionably thinking, how am I going to solve this? And for me, that was like, right, I'm going to figure out my gaps in my knowledge art and I'm going to go to my boss. Because luckily, we have um, a learning and development budget for everyone. And I was like, right, I need to get more management books and I want to maybe have a conversation with someone else in an industry, in our industry that's ahead of social and get some insight from them. Um, I also decided to just one thing that really, really helped me because I know a lot of imposter syndrome from my role was and I think a lot of people have this, especially if you work in a startup or you've been put in a manager position or just quite a senior position or any position, to be honest, where you feel like you need to be adding value to your business and like moving forward, moving forward. And it feels like really, really big tasks. And what I did is I made a sprint board and I broke down every big task, for example, we're having loads of new services roll out to our clients that I'm in charge of. And that's so scary. But oh, but I only need to audit this account this week. And like just going through, I think breaking those down, finding your knowledge apps and just making everything you're doing seem less scary, I think really as well helps with that little voice because that little voice needs to go away. Um, but it's, that's a lot easier said than done. So I think actually addressing the root of the cause and talking to people as well, like everyone has. I went to a... Um, a panel the other week and it was all these like, amazing CEOs who are like a bit older so like maybe like 30s and 40s and it, the whole panel was about imposter syndrome and they all have these like multi-million pound businesses and they're like I sometimes get scared going to work and I think it's just important to know everyone experiences it but just don't let it cripple you it's okay to have it it's okay to have that little voice just make sure it's a quiet little voice mm-hmm. I love the idea of breaking things down because things seem sometimes so scary you know if you're thinking okay I want to build you know a personal mm-hmm. brand and people think right so I need to start posting seven days a week every day at eight <laughs> o'clock in the morning I hate it yeah or for example you know a promotion people mm-hmm. are like right how am I going to become the CEO of this company mm-hmm. actually thinking right what are the actionable steps for yeah. me to break down to get to where I want to be because there are actionable steps and it will also help you feel more accomplished because, mm-hmm. okay, building a personal brand is great, but it might be, you know, it it might be a few months away. You might not build something so quickly. Obviously, you've had a lot of success with yours, but there are a lot of people who spend years building kind of thought leadership in the industry and it doesn't come as quickly sometimes because certain people are doing certain things and it doesn't work or, you know, it's not kind of doesn't feel authentic to them. 
And I think breaking it down and really thinking, okay, what are the steps to get me mm-hmm. where I want to be is a really great tip. Yeah, I think as well, like I just said about personal branding, like how I would start would be like, right, I'm going to comment on five people's posts every day for a week. And then next week I'm going to comment on five people's and then message one of them. And just like having a little like tick list and ticking them off every single week. I think that's so much less scary, like you said, then, right, start your personal brand. Okay, where? How? Please give me advice. Um, so I think, yeah, just being like, right, what's the small thing I can do today to get one step closer? And that's that whole like almost like atomic habit thing. Like you just have to get 1% better every single day. Yeah. And it's being able to like slowly get there and just not look at the big thing. But like, I can be maybe on a big mood board, but like just doing little, little things. And I think do little things that you know you can do. You Anyone can comment, mm-hmm. but not like not everyone, but as in like, it's a lot scarier to them like, just build a personal brand. So just think about what can you do today? And I think that takes a lot of the imposter syndrome out of it. Yeah, no, that's amazing. So I want to finish today because mm-hmm. it's been a lovely chat with you. I want to finish. We always ask all of our guests, what advice would you give to yourself starting mm-hmm. off in the industry just for anyone who maybe is getting started right now, I know getting started wasn't that long ago for <laughs> you. Um, so maybe there'll be some really great advice there. But what have you learned in the last kind of year or so that you can you would say to yourself then? Yeah, I think don't limit yourself. I Like I said, I very much was like, right, I'm going to have to get us to a small agency and work as a social media exec for three years and become a social media manager and slowly, slowly build up. That's not necessarily the case anymore. Like you need to, one, I think especially marketing, you need to build your digital presence and that doesn't have to be LinkedIn. That can be an Instagram page, a blog, a TikTok, anything, an email list. I just think getting yourself out there, building something that's your own. And that does not mean you have to be a founder. I'm not a founder of a company. I'm an employee, but I have something that's my own. And I think that's really, really important because if I go, let's say, tomorrow the company I'm at just falls apart or I want to move on in a couple of years or anything like that I've got something that I can show for it and that really does open a lot of doors as well when you start building those digital presents you'll build a network as well and that is genuinely worth more than any money <laughs> goodbye <laughs> because not only can you learn from people you never know who down the line is gonna invite you on a podcast or offer you a job so I think just building that online presence and don't limit yourself I think is what's like in this current age is like what you need to do yeah thank you so much for coming on today thank you thanks so much for joining us for another episode of the girls in marketing podcast we love hearing from you so if you enjoyed this episode leave us a review to let us know your thoughts and make sure you hit the subscribe or follow button to be the first to hear when our new episodes release don't forget if you want to get involved with girls in marketing check out our membership to join our incredible community of marketers think marketing resources courses webinars and more find out more on our website or drop us a message on any of our social channels at girls in marketing 